wonderful. I sometimes think worship would be like, uh, you know, sometimes I think when I'm in worship and I have an experience where I just really want to get a hold of God, like I'm on a stranded island and, and you've seen those movies where they're on the stranded island and they've got the flares and, and you only got one opportunity when that plane comes by to get its attention. And sometimes I think that's what worship has to be like. But can I say tonight, he's already got our attention. <laughs> he already He's already paying attention to what we're doing. But we need to, I want to ask that question tonight. What is worship? Now we cannot deny that it is of utmost importance in our Christian relationship. So I want to ask real quick, and I want a little feedback. If you had to put it in one word, what would you say? If you just had to think of one word that you would say, this is worship. When you think about worship, what's the one word you think of? Praise. Praise, okay. Something else. What was that? Jesus. Jesus. There you go. Bless you, Paula. Intimacy. Intimacy. Thankfulness. Blessed. Exaltation. Exaltation, absolutely. To define worship to me is kind of like defining love or defining hope. And you can put it in words, but until you experience it, until you know what it really is. You know, worship sounds good on paper, but it sounds a whole lot better when you when you actually know what it is because you've experienced it. I could say I love tacos, but to, to, to actually experience love, it is something so much deeper, and I believe worship is as well. Even the 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 the, uh, the dictionary, it, it can't just give one definition of worship. It's it's so deep that it's multifaceted. And I just want to read a couple things before we dive in. Uh, this is how the the world or the dictionary defines. Uh, worship. I believe the Bible does a better job, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But it says the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration to a deity. The acts or rites that make up a formal expression of reverence for a deity. A religious ceremony or ceremonies. Adoration or devotion comparable to religious homage shown towards a person or principle. Honor giving to, given to someone in recognition of their merit. And lastly, the last definition it gives is used in addressing or referring to an important or high-ranking person, especially a magistrate or mayor. I mean, they're good definitions, but I think the Bible can go a whole lot more. Let me read a couple quotes from people, what they think worship is. William Temple once said this, To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of wow. God. Amen. Webster can't do that. <laughs> and Alex uh, McLaren said this, Fruitful and acceptable worship, worship begins before it begins. So true. But we have to ask the question before we understand what we're, how we worship we have to ask, who are we worshiping? And that is a very important question before we walk into the sanctuary. Are we here to worship a, a meeting? Is this simply a social gathering? Or or when we meet in the sanctuary, 
Is it something more? Now, once again, the house that I raised my family is just a house, just bricks. It doesn't make up my family. It doesn't make my home. But there's something about having a sanctity in which there is freedom to raise my family. Now, once again, this is just brick and mortar here. The house of God is actually the temple in which we house ourselves. But there's something about this sanctuary where we have the freedom and the boldness to worship together corporately. And I think we have to understand that. But who are we worshiping? I think I mentioned this before, but during the tenure of the great Henry Ward Beecher, uh, he left uh, unannounced and had a visiting minister, which actually was his brother, uh, once substitute in the church he was pastoring. The large audience had came to hear from around the country to hear uh, Henry Ward Beecher in one of his sermons. And sure enough, when that substitute pastor, which was his brother, took the stage, took up behind the pulpit, many, many disappointed listeners began to move toward the exit of the church. That's when Beecher's son, uh, brother stood up and loudly said this. All who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. All who have come to worship God, keep your seats. And it's important that we realize why we're here. To understand who we worship before we understand what is the best form of worship. Because I'm intrigued by worship. Because, I'll be honest, sometimes we categorize the whole pizza by a slice. And sometimes we say worship is just in the music. And sometimes we say worship is just in the preaching. Sometimes worship is just in the gathering. But once again, those are all slices that make up the entire pie, to say, of what is worship. But I'm intrigued because I want to know what is the recipe. And, and God deals with me all the time because I think that I can manufacture this recipe. But it is simply given from God through the Holy Spirit. It is not anything that is given by merit. I believe there is a preparation in our hearts that has to be done. But not by merits, not by works, but... Uh, but I ask that, is it in the posture of prayer? Is it in the way I pray? Is it in the way I praise? Is it, you know, and I even said that in my notes, is it posture? Is it position? Is it place? What draws us the closest to God? I think I've made this joke before, but three ministers were in a church once discussing the position of prayer, which would draw them closest to the Lord. Well, the Baptist minister said, I believe I can sit there in the pew and fold my hands and I can get the closest to God as anyone else. Well, the Nazarene preacher said, I believe it's it's on your knees with your hands folded in that old-fashioned type of prayer and an altar prayer. That's the cl- way to get closest to God. Well, the Pentecostal preacher said, I believe it's laying down prostrate, face down, on my stomach, sprawled out on the ground. I've come to find out that's the closest way to get to God. Well, sure enough, in the other room, a telephone man was working on some lines in the church. And he walks in and he said, I can't help but to overhear your conversation. And even though I'm not a pastor myself, I can tell you the closest I've ever got to God is when my harness broke at 40 feet on the line outside. (laughs) But what is the, what is that position? What is it? What is worship? Because I'm telling you, if you've experienced it before, and I believe we've all been in those services where you say, that was not manufactured, that was not put on. When we leave this place, we say, that was worship. Right. What, what is that? How do we how do we get that every time? And, and Romans 12 and 1, we're going to be jumping around a lot, but Romans 12 and 1 uh, says this. We know it, but I'm going to say it here because I think we don't understand the depth of it sometimes. I don't. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now that word service here is the Greek word latria, which also actually means service of worship. So Paul is saying here that if we come as a living sacrifice, that simply by the mercies of God, he's not forced into it. It's only by his sheer desire that we will worship. He's a jealous God, but he desires our worship. But he said simply, he's begging, he said, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you would present yourselves a living sacrifice. Well, throughout scripture, we know that a sacrifice is to be offered and you don't take a sacrifice. Never has there been a sacrifice outside of Isaac. But in all the medical law, when you laid a sacrifice down, it was done. <laughs> you didn't get back up. It died there. And that's the, the first thing we have to understand about worship is it's not about us. And Paul says as a living sacrifice, that's what's holy. That's what's acceptable. That's the perfect will of God. That is our reasonable service of worship to come in to say, and I got to be honest, I'm bad about it. You're probably bad about it. I can fake it a little better than you because I'm your pastor. Maybe you can't. I put on a good poker face. Maybe you don't, but we carry so much in. From the world and, and maybe even within the church and this person isn't, you know, we're fussing over here with people and we bring all that in. And that can hinder worship because it's not about us. Now, I'm not saying we should pick it up back there, but if we're going to start, let's just say leave it at the door. Let's come worship, make it about Jesus Christ. And then if you want to pick it up back there. But I believe if you truly worship the Lord uh, in spirit and truth, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, I believe you won't pick it up when you leave here. Amen. And then Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians 10 31. And I love this because I love that worship can be in eating. <laughs> Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it, do all to the glory of God. That's what worship should bring. Once again, it elevates the stature. We talked about that. A high ranking official. Well, he is our high ranking official. We're giving adoration to him. And that's what we have to understand here is when it comes to anything we can do. Now, corporately, there is something about church that I believe separates us from the world where we can worship. But I can worship anywhere. I've had some of my best worship when you get the holy bumps when a song comes on the radio or, or you're just around there. I'm telling you, anything you can do, if it bring glory to God, if it's elevating the name of Jesus Christ, it can be worship. So let's dive in a little bit more in the Old Testament. So actually, Genesis 22 and 5, you can turn there if we're going to be flipping back and forth. If not, you're just taking notes, you can go back into it later. In Genesis 22, 5, it's the first time we see the word worship. The actual word worship, and it's this Greek word, shakah, which means uh, bowing down. Bowing down. We see it in Genesis 22 and 5 when Abraham tells the servants... That him and Isaac are going to go and worship. They're going to go and worship. Now, what was Isaac and Abraham going to do? <laughs> he was going to go and sacrifice his own son. And yet, not by coincidence, the Bible says Abraham called it worship. I, to me, I thought worship was singing and praising and dancing. To Abraham, worship was giving up that which was best to God. <laughs> That's what worship is. Saying, God, here's my best, the best of myself. 
Here's everything I have to offer, materially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I give it all to you, and I lay it down. And that is what worship is. And Abraham understood that. It's not the first time we see the word shakah. It's the first time we see the word worship. In the Hebrew, the first time we see the word shakah is Genesis 18.2, just a few verse, few chapters before, when the three men visit Abraham, and he goes down and he welcomes him, and it says that he goes and he bows down low to the ground. So, number one, we see in Genesis 18.2 that he runs out and he bows himself to him, and that's a form of, of worship right there. But I think it's even deeper in the Abraham when we see in Genesis chapter 22, when not only does he bow, but he worships by giving himself to him. Because you can bow your knee, and that's great, but if, if your heart's not in it, and, and I've said this before, I like an altar experience, but if you're coming up to an altar but not bowing your heart, then stay in your seat. Worship needs to be laying down for God. So we see also in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, in the story of Cain and Abel. When they talk about the offering that both Cain and Abel give, it's the word mitzvah. M-I-N-C-H-A-A. Pardon me if you guys are Hebrew scholars and I'm messing these things up. But the word mitzvah, which actually means the word gift or offering or tribute or sacrifice. It is a form of worship we see here. Forty times in Leviticus do we see this same, these same uh, words used in sacrifice and bringing of offering. This is just another side of it. It's a bowing of the knee. It's an offering that which is best. It's a giving a gift and an offering. You know, I, I sometimes think that about Cain and Abel. It wasn't about the offering itself. It was about the heart. That he didn't give with his heart. It wasn't in that reason. It wasn't accepted by God. That's why. Because it wasn't important to him and it's not going to be important to God. If you're not willing to give it to God, then God's not going to accept it. Now, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Proskino. Matthew 2 and 2. I want to read it with you. Matthew 2 and 2. Saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen the far, his star in the east, and are come to worship him. This is what... The Magi, this is what Herod was, this is what they were discussing. That they had seen this star, that they knew this son was being born, this this Jesus of, uh, was being born in Bethlehem. And we know that, and he says, we want to worship him. We want to we want to bow down to him, This almost like a, king, a servant to a king. We see that's the first time it's mentioned in, in, in the New Testament. And, and, and it's the same bowing down. So people sometimes want to separate out the Old Testament versus the New Testament. But from what I can find, it's still the same posture, posture of the heart, still bowing and, and giving of ourselves. We see that throughout throughout the New Testament. I'm just going to write these down because we've got a lot of places to go. Luke 4 and 8, when Satan offers to Jesus that if he would, he would offer him the world, if he would worship him. We see that word uh, proskino. Also in Matthew 14 and 33, when the disciples worship Jesus after Peter uh, walks on the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 8 and 2, Matthew 9 and 18, when, 
when Jesus miraculously heals the lepers right there, and also in Mark 15 and 19, as the soldiers beat Jesus, beat Jesus it says they worshipped him mockingly. We see that word in the Greek, proskyneo, right there as well. So we see all these things in scripture, but I ask the question, I want to know what the Lord says. <laughs> I want to know what Jesus says. And I believe God's word is clear enough through the Holy Spirit to give us definite answers of what worship should look like. So John chapter 4, I believe, is both the clearest and the most complicated to understand, uh, uh, un, uh, I guess, observation of what Jesus Christ says worship is. I think it's coincidental. Man, this is good. The one definition he gives of worship, who does he give it to? John 4, the whole story at the beginning of the chapter is the woman at the well. The least, literally, an enemy of the Jews. She even says it. You shouldn't even be discussing this with me. We're enemies. And yet his first definition of Jesus Christ's interpretation of what worship is, he gives it to her. Someone who did not deserve it. I'm so thankful. I didn't deserve to be able to worship God, to be intimate with God, to be close with God, to praise God. But I'm thankful that he came my way. And he gave me the opportunity. But John chapter 4, starting at the 20th verse. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So what is it first? She thinks it's what? It's location, right? <laughs> she thinks it's actually a place you have to be. Now sometimes we can get religious and say that worship can only happen in church. And, and we ought not to be religious like she was. It can happen anywhere. I believe if the atmosphere is, it can be better here because once again, the point of church is to turn off the world for a little bit of time and come in here and have absolute freedom and liberty that you may not have at Walmart. <laughs> if God bless you, if you can worship like you worship at church at Walmart, I know people that can. God bless them. But there's something about a sanctuary. But she says, oh, I know where it's at. It's in that mountain and you say it's in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour cometh. When ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Because once again, she was talking about an outward experience. And because of the Holy Spirit, we now have an inward worship that he gives to us. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour hath cometh and now is, and here it is right here, black and white, actually in red. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Amen. We're going to discuss that in a second. But look what it says right here. For the Father seeketh. I don't know about you, but God doesn't have to seek anything. Right. To think of someone that seek would be someone that doesn't have it. Can't find it. He's looking for it. That would be something we would do. But for God to say, for Christ to say, God is actually seeking worship. That's what he's looking for. Think of that for a second in your life. This is the spirit of God. He's coming to your, to your life and saying, I am seeking someone that will worship me. Truly worship me. Not manufactured, not fake it. But this is the thing that he says, uh, yeah. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So much in there. Let's just talk for a moment first about worshiping in spirit. Jesus Christ says God is a spirit. 
So in order to worship him, we must worship him in spirit. And what do you mean by spirit? Well, once again, let's break down the Greek. The Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma, which actually is also translated as breath. You know, uh, in fact, they say in the Old Testament, they couldn't even uh, pronounce the name of God. It was simply syllables in the Hebrew language that would just, I think it's actually, you can't, I can't write it, but it almost sounded like breath. Have, yave, you know, and it would mimic breath. But we see this Greek word pneuma for the spirit, the breath of God, this this breeze of God. Certainly Christ isn't referring to a wind, but we do know when he talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 8, he, he is talking about the spirit of God and this born again experience. And he said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, born of the new one. He says it's like a wind. That's the thing about me. When it comes to worship, it, it's, it can't be manufactured. And I honestly believe the more you try to figure it out, the more you try to force it, the more you'll hinder it. It's like wind. The best thing we can do is just give up. And, and uh, I believe it was me and Corey were talking about that. The hardest thing for me as a, as a pastor is to say, okay, I know I have Sunday service. And I know I need to be in leadership here. And I know I need to have it figured out. But all the while, I need to come with an impression that I've got nothing figured out. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, i got to have this thing put together. But all the while, i got to have nothing put together. And it's just about this having this right away, this yielding of the Spirit of God. Because it cannot come any way but simply by Him giving it. And He wants to give it. He's seeking it. But we talk about that pneuma. That's the same word we see describing man's spirit. Once again, uh, Delbert and myself did a funeral the other day and he says we are a triune body ourselves just as God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit itself. And that is uh, something that is separate. Our essence, uh, it's our wills, our actions, our decisions. We do things physically, but it starts with the spirit that, that causes it to do it. And, and it cannot be confined by an enclosure. See, our bodies are wrapped in flesh. Our spirit is wrapped in flesh. But when it comes to God, he is completely free if, if we allow him to be. But we have to worship him in spirit. I wrote this in my notes. I believe worshiping God in spirit means connecting with God on a non-physical level. Amen. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but it's... It's not about rituals, it's not about traditions, it's not about a physical building, even though we meet here. It's not about rehearsed prayers, about song. It's something deeper than that, deeper than the physical. That's why if worship is handled correctly, in spirit like we're supposed to, you can worship the same in a prison as you can in a megachurch. Isn't that crazy? You would think it can't be possible. But that's why it's not on a physical level. It's spirit. There's there's no external. And let me just say this. If worship is done right, there's nothing that can prevent worship. You can't lock the doors. You can't bar it out. You can't force people. The spirit, it's spirit. It's not bound by anything on the physical. I believe it's simply a wholehearted, unfettered adoration from within. And it's a response to God's presence. Which is the spirit of God. A good example, Second Second Samuel chapter six. Turn with me there. I think this is one of our hardest things to get around. Is what will other people think when it comes to worship? 
Because once again, worship is giving everything to God. So if we come and lay something down at the altar, I think, and once again, we, it's about, we make it about us. And the number one thing worship is not is about us. Right. You've got to get that figured out. And I know it's not easy, but it just comes with the crucifying of the flesh. And if you do it on a daily basis, I'm telling you, that habit will be formed where you can say, okay, it is not about us. But when we come to pray, it's not about us. When we stand up and testify, it's not about us. If we haven't led to, to sing a song, it's not about us. When I preach a message, it's not about me. We have to realize that. But that's the, the, the number one thing about worship is to come unashamed. Amen. Completely open. To say, I don't care. I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Lord. Yeah. And if I'm going to answer to anybody, I'm going to answer to him and I'm not going to answer to you. If, I have, if I'm going to go pray, I don't care if everybody's staring at me. I don't care if I can hear him, even hear him talking to me. I've come to worship the Lord. And if I'm going to stand and testify, it may not feel like the right time. But if God's putting it on me, he'll know when it's right. And I'm going to stand up and testify. But we have to understand that. But David was like no one else. I mean, what a man after God's heart. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord. You can say, good grief. Are you going to start talking about dancing in church? Is that what we're going to, Pastor? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whatever it looks like. It's not manufacturable. You'll know it when you experience it. It's like love. You'll know it. You can you can try to put it in a bag, you can try to write in a Hallmark card, but until you experience love, you'll never know it. And until you experience true worship, which is done in spirit and in truth, you'll never know it. But David understood it. I believe David understood worship better than anyone because he was alone with God for days and days and days out there in the field with only him and God. And he got to be comfortable with it just being him and God. So when it came back to a corporate entity where he was king and he was the main soldier and he was the captain of the army and all these things, he was so used to just being him and God that whenever God moved, he didn't care. Didn't care. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Amen, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal Saul's daughter looked through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing. Once again, the clear word of God says before the Lord. It wasn't for him. It wasn't to elevate his stature. It was because of an unashamed, true worship in spirit. Saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And look. And she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. That's what will happen to you. You know it and I know it. I despise I'm a pastor. And if I see someone worshiping better than me, get him out of here. Why? Because it makes you accountable. Because you ask the question. You may not say it with your lips, but you say it with your heart. What do they have that I don't have? What, how are they experiencing that which I can't experience? You know, but that's what worship do. It goes back to Cain and Abel. It wasn't about the offering. It was because it didn't come from the heart. And it wasn't acceptable for the Lord. And that's what Cain said. If mine isn't going to be accepted, then I'm going to destroy everything around me. 
And that's what happens when we hinder the spirit of God. We see someone else worship beyond a shame and we're not there spiritually. And we just turn our hands, we just cross our arms and say, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with it. But it has to be with the spirit, the spirit. But not only the spirit, but also we have to worship in truth. There's no surprises understanding the Hebrew and the Greek and the English translations of truth. You know what they all mean? Truth. There's nothing else. Truth is truth. This is what God said to me. Brad, you can fake it all day long, but I'll know. If you're not worshiping in truth, if you're just doing it because everyone else is doing it, if you're just doing it because it makes you look better, don't do it. It's not going to work. And if we're not worshiping in truth, and that's why I also have to say, true worship, once again, we talked about the, uh, the entire entity of worship, which I believe comes in the devotion, I believe it comes in the preparation through prayer, I believe it comes through the singing and the worship side of that, and through the preaching of the word. But it has to be truth. We have to use the truth. It's got to come from the truth. If we're going to get anywhere, because the point of worship, what God is actually seeking, is individuals that will have a heart that will seek after him. And that seek him after him in spirit and in truth to, to live a godly life, to do it as he would want us to do, to live by his commandments. That's my problem sometimes with, with worship these days. They come in on Sunday. Now, I don't want to knock, because people are listening, I don't want to knock coffee and donuts. I know churches are going in. I'm not trying to... If it works for you. But here's my problem. Here's my problem. They come in and they're drinking coffee and they're eating donuts and they're laughing at 11.57 or 10.57. And then 11 o'clock comes on and they expect themselves to be able to flip a switch and all of a sudden be spiritual. You know, all of a sudden, oh, we're so worshiping. It, it doesn't turn on like that. I'm telling you, I've said it to them. I've said it before. If we would start at home. Praying for church before we came to church. The problem with so many Christians is we wait till we get here to pray and be, prepare our hearts for worship. And by the time we finally get there and we, we break down all the walls and we, you know, and we get through the heart of the matter, it's, it's already noon and we're ready to go home. But if we would start before we come in here. Now I know I want to have a good time before I come to church, but there's something, and you can, but there's something to say, you know what, I'm going to set aside some time. Before morning, because listen, we take a shower, we do our hair, we get our kids ready, but do we prepare our hearts? We look good on the outside, but God's not looking for that. That's manufactured. If worship was about how you dressed and how much money you gave and how many people were in the pews, then shoot, we'd have worship across the nation. But churches are hungry for your worship because they're trying to do it externally, but it doesn't come that way. Spirit and in truth. There should be no facades. No faking it. No ulterior motives. When you peel back the layer like an onion, you find more onion. <laughs> you know, we just got to get to the heart of this thing. And I think, Jacob, as you said it in your prayer, it's not an easy thing to pray. But that's truth. We, I have a church that says, church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Now, I am absolutely saved to the uttermost. I believe I am. He saved me and he's kept me. But I'm a broken person. And for me to fake that and to come in any other way but to say I'm broken. God, you have everything. I'm not perfect. 
I don't have this thing figured out. I was talking to someone a couple days ago. I don't have this thing figured out. I know you write a paycheck that I haven't figured out. And I know you'll meet with me in my office that I can help you figure it out. But we don't have this thing figured out. And that's what worship should be. To say, God, here I am. Every bit of me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it all to you. Unashamed, in spirit, and in truth. Because that's what it boils down to. It's not an easy task. But it's achievable. We try to define. That's what I, that's what God's dealing with me. And that's why I wanted to do this lesson. I, to be honest, more, about, for, more for me than for you. Because lately, the last few services, man, they've been good. I've felt a good spirit. And I go, God, what are we doing? And he's like, you're not doing anything. <laughs> you're not doing anything. I'm doing it. And I'm thankful for that. But to try to define worship in one word, and that's what I was trying to set you up to fail at the beginning. I was saying, what do you think worship is in one word? It's not one word. It's not anything we can define. It can only be experienced. But I want to challenge you tonight before we close. I want to challenge you that we would want worship. If we are not coming to church to worship, I'm telling you, this is not the YMCA. This is not the Boys and Girls Club. This is not the Lions Club. This is church. We are supposed to come to worship God. And if you're depending on someone else, I want to worship. Delbert wants to worship. But it has to start with you. It has to start with you. You have to come and say, God, I want to worship you today. I know it's not about location. I know it's not about manufacturing. It's about experience. But I'm telling you, it comes down to what he says in John chapter 4 again. And I just want to say it again. The hour cometh and now is. Folks, listen. It talks about in the parable the about the unfaithful servant. The one who wasn't ready. You know, the slothful servant. But he's looking for a generation. He's looking for a people that when he returns, he will find them doing. Doing what? Elevating self. You know? Filling up church pews. That's not what this is about. If the Lord would come back. Ted had a dream once. Uh, and Ted, I'm going to share it tonight. He said he was in church. He said, I believe I'm, I'm probably going to butcher, butcher this up, Ted. But Orby Stewart was next to him. They were looking through the Bible and she couldn't find a verse in her Bible. And they were working back and forth. And he said, all of a sudden, the church lifted off its foundation. <laughs> and the Lord, that was a dream he had. The, the church lifted off its foundation and just went in the air. I love that illustration. I'm a visual type of person. I love seeing that. But there is no greater thing that I believe the Lord would want. That if the, he's going to come back for us. And he is going to come back for us, whenever it is. I don't care. I know he's coming back. But until then, if we don't know the hour, we don't know the day, all I know is he wants a generation that will worship him. And if he's going to come back and he wants to find that generation doing, I believe the one thing he wants to do is worship him. You know? We get so busy in everything else. And like Mary and Martha, we lack the important part, which is simply coming to worship. Give the rest of the week to whatever it is you have to do. But please, for crying out loud, if we're going to just do it one or two times a week, think of that for a second. Church really consists of three hours a week. That's if you're faithful. That's if you're faithful, three hours a week. That's nothing. I watched more Andy Griffith last night than that. 
three hours a week. And for those three hours, for some reason, we still can't get rid of self. And sometimes I have to ask myself that question, or maybe answer that self that question, maybe that's the problem. We are so focused, and I've used that illustration before, when we talk about Abraham, and he says, I'm going to go worship with Isaac. Now, on the way up the hill, Isaac says to his dad, Dad, you've got the fire, and you've got the wood, but where is the offering? And he says, God will provide the offering. So when they get to the place, and he builds the altar, and he lays Isaac down, there's nowhere in Scripture... Because it says, and he bound Isaac. There's nowhere in scripture that Isaac struggled. Now, there's a couple reasons you might think that. Number one reason I think that is because he trusted his father. He trusted his father. Number two reason I believe that is because he had seen it over and over again. Animal sacrifice is something that happened all the time. It was something that they were new. So whenever Abraham said to Isaac, I need you to lay on the altar, Isaac knew what was about to happen. He may not have understood it, but he, but nowhere in scripture, you can't find it. He doesn't struggle one bit. He doesn't have a fight. Abraham was old at this time. Isaac was young. He probably could have taken his father. Said, no, you're going to be one on the altar tonight, dad. I'm going to sacrifice you. Isaac lays down for his father. This is the problem, folks. We have allowed our Isaac to run all week. To have right away all week. And on Sunday we expect it just to lay down without giving up a a fight. It will not happen. It won't happen. We have to trust the Father. We have to trust the Father that when I lay myself down, He knows what's happening. But I just want to say that I think we need to, in the next couple weeks, just start praying. And I want to go to prayer tonight. And I think we all need to go to prayer tonight. I want to seek true worship. It'd be one thing if Christ said he's seeking worshipers, but he's seeking true worshipers, which says to me that there's an artificial type, (laughs) that there's a fake type. And one day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an account for my life. And shame on me if I've ever come up here and said, well, it was kind of dead, so I just wanted to put it on. I just thought I'd fake it a little bit to, to bring. No, that's not what we're here to do. If it is given, if he's seeking it, then we can find it, right? He says that. Whatever you look for, whatever you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened, right? So if we have a heart to find worship, then I believe we can find it. To seek worship, I believe we can find it. But I think it starts with prayer. I think it starts with preparation of a heart. Once again, it's not external. Uh, we talked about that in that Hebrew. It's the laying down, the bowing down, the giving up of oneself. I just want to go to prayer tonight, and I'm going to ask Rob and Son to come up. We're going to get a verse or something. I just feel like we go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you. I'm thankful that you impressed me with prayer right now. Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I want worship. Not only do I want worship, I believe my heart needs worship. Uh, and I believe this church wants to seek out worship. But, Father, it's not something we can manufacture. So here we are. Broken, hungry, uh, desiring for you to give that which we ask for. And your word says you're like a good father. If we ask for, uh, if we ask for bread, you won't give us a stone. Uh, I believe you'll give us exactly what our heart yearns for. Father, we want worship. We want, we don't want to have to define it in a word. We don't want to have to put it in the program. We want to be able to walk in here and experience it. And I believe that comes from every aspect of service. Father, I pray for worship in the singing. I pray for worship in the preaching. But most of all, I pray for worship 
within, within the people here that they will come and lay themselves down. Not just in word, but in heart. That they'll lay themselves down. That they'll elevate you. John says, for you to increase, we must decrease. There's no other way. For you to increase, we must decrease. Anything else. And Father, your word says, if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. But if we if we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. So Father, we ask you tonight, uh, let's stop trying to figure this thing out. We're just coming to you to ask tonight that you would help us worship. That there'd be a freedom, that there'd be a liberty, that we'd be unashamed, that we'd only be focused on you. That we'd leave everything at the door and come in here seeking your face and your presence. And I believe without a doubt... We will have services that we've never had before. Father, I'm just so sick and tired of talking about church history. I believe you're alive and well today. I believe you want to do a work in this church that's not been done. I believe you want to do a work in this community that's not been done. Father, I don't want to look back. I want to look forward until you come. I want to be found doing when you come back for me and for this church. Father, we love you. We thank you. As we sing the song, I pray we'll worship truly tonight. We'll give it all to you tonight as we sing.